In the past five years of interviewing successful copywriters on the podcast, I can only remember one who was running a successful business without a website or a social media presence or an email list for that matter. And perhaps coincidentally, that person I believe is the highest paid copywriter working in the world today. Now I'm guessing at that assumption, but if he's not the highest paid, he's definitely in the top five. And you might be thinking, well, sure, a copywriter with a good reputation and a steady flow of very high paying clients can get away without a website or an email list or a social media presence. But what about an almost unknown copywriter working in places like Italy or Chile or Spain without any high profile clients? In fact, a copywriter who might be getting the bulk of his clients in a place like Upwork. Our guest on the Copywriter Club podcast today is copywriter Rob Perry, and he says that it's not only possible to do that, but that he's been doing it successfully for years. You're going to want to stick around for this one and hear how he's done it. But before we get to our interview with Rob Perry, this podcast is sponsored by the Copywriter Think Tank. That's our combination of coaching, training, and mastermind for ambitious, successful copywriters who are ready to take their businesses from where they are now, maybe somewhere around $5,000 a month, and doubling, tripling, or doing even better with it. Or maybe they want to launch a new product or a podcast or create a course or membership or something different in their business. The Think Tank is the place that you can do it. And we're just in the planning stages right now of our upcoming Think Tank retreat. It's going to be an in-person retreat uh, this January. And so if you join before then, you'll be able to jump in, meet everybody in person, and have a lot of fun with us at that retreat. Anyway, if you want more information about the Copywriter Think Tank, check out copywriterthinktank.com. There's a little information there. There's a short video there that you can watch, just get a sense of what happens in the Think Tank. And if you want to know more, you can just schedule a short information call with either Kira or me, and we will help you figure out if that's a fit for you. And then one more note today, I am alone today, no co-host. So this episode is just Kira, Rob Perry, and a double dose of me. Having said that, let's get to the interview with Rob Perry. You know, we all feel like we have a similar story, right? Um, none of us started as copywriters, or most of us didn't. But I um, I was living in New York um, with my wife and uh, I had a job I was working actually as a partner in a skateboard company. And my daughter was born and life got immediately very complicated um, very quickly because New York's pretty expensive. And um, my wife was actually was from Italy. So she was from out of the country and um, had a little bit of trouble adjusting to, to being there as well. So we decided to move back to Italy, um, to her hometown, to spend some time closer to her family. Um, and obviously, when we got there, I needed work. Uh, and I didn't, I couldn't take my job with me. And I knew we probably weren't going to be in Italy forever. So I decided, hey, I need to do something, right? I need to create some sort of business that I can take with me because we may be moving again. And I don't want to have to look for a new job in you know, a different country another time, um, maybe more than once. So I started looking at a little bit to uh, to content writing initially because I knew I could write. I was an English major, a theater minor. Like I, I writing was always something that was a passion of mine, not something I had worked on professionally. So I started looking into to content writing, um, and as I dug into it a little bit more, I started exploring, and you know, discovered that copywriting was maybe a little bit more um, up my alley. I had a lot of experience in sales, um, particularly B two B sales, and face to face sales. So. Moving into copyright kind of felt like a, a really sort of natural, um, natural transition from that experience. But at the same time, I had no 
um, no real life work experience in copywriting. I had no real life work experience in marketing, really. I had overseen marketing teams, but I never worked in marketing. I was more on the sales side. So I set up a profile on Upwork and just started um, looking for jobs. I sent a couple of proposals. I got lucky. One of my first few proposals got accepted and I was uh, I was off and running. Wrote a, a website, a couple of pages of website copy for $100 for some guy, which at the time felt like it was perfectly fine, right? Um, I was getting paid to write and it was always kind of a dream. So, Okay. So do you remember that first pitch, what you said or what you did in it? I don't remember the first pitch, but I remember the first job well because um, I I remember it was a, it was a clothing company um, and they were based in an East Coast city, not New York, and they um, they wanted to kind of redo their brand, but they had a very specific feel and they didn't want to completely redo everything. I guess they wanted to sound more professional, but they also were appealing to a not to, to a younger segment, right? So they didn't want to sound too professional. So I wrote the, the copy. I tried to do the best that I could to make it grammatically correct, at least while I was staying within the bounds of what I thought they wanted. And the first feedback I got from the client was, oh my God, what is this? You're going to ruin my brand. <laughs> um, <laughs> what are you doing? And I freaked out, right? Like we all do that first time we get negative feedback. This was my first job ever, but um, it all worked out. I got on the phone with him and you know, fortunately I took, that, took the feedback head on, got on the phone with him to figure out what was actually happening and realized that his changes weren't so significant. It wasn't so different. We just needed to change a few things up. At the end of the job, I got a, a five-star glowing review from him. And that was really, um, you know, I think the launching point for me you know, on the platform was getting that first review under my belt. And then other people you know, could see um, you know, what I was about in terms of what it was like to work with me. So I have a feeling we could talk about Upwork for the entire hour, uh, <laughs> but I, I'm curious how you go from that first project. And I mean, you've basically grown your business on Upwork, but you know, how do you turn that into um, a, a pipeline of projects coming to you? Sure. I mean, it was, it was one step at a time, right? The, the first year, it was kind of piecemeal. I wasn't working full-time either. Uh, I didn't need to at that point. Um, we were kind of in a, family focused stage. And I knew that I wasn't going to dedicate 40 hours a week to it. So I took, I, I kept pitching clients and I didn't raise my prices immediately. I probably should have faster than I did. I think my first, my initial hourly rate was around $40 an hour. And I didn't take hourly projects though, worked on, on, um, on fixed price projects. I would just find a job that looked interesting to me that I thought that I could do that um, didn't have too much competition or that had a specific reason that looked like I thought that I had some sort of an in. There's something I could offer to the, to, the, to the job that I didn't think somebody else could. And so that was really my opportunity was looking for those strategic, uh, my strategy was looking for those strategic opportunities where I felt like I had an advantage. And so I would just apply to jobs and uh, give what I thought was a fair price and eventually work my way up. Um, as I got more reviews, it got easier. Pretty quickly, I became like, quote, rising talent, which is one of the badges they give you on the platform, which means that you start showing up in more searches. And then you start do start getting invited to some jobs. After about three months, I was top rated. And once you're top rated, then you show up in more searches. And the more active you are, the more proposals you're sending, the more likely you are to, um, to show up on other people's radar in, in their own searches as well. So over time, I definitely started getting invited to more jobs. Um, and that gave me the opportunity to sort of pick and choose who I wanted to work with. I mean, you can go through and you can search and you can you can do you can give up put out proposals to the people you want to work with. But when people are coming to you, it makes that much that much easier to close those jobs and, and demand more money. So you mentioned that you went after jobs early on before you even got your badge, your first badge, um, jobs where you had an advantage. So can you talk more about that? Like how do you identify that advantage? What does that look like? 
Um, interesting question. I don't remember exactly, but I think that you know a lot of what I was looking for were things that were in the B2B space because I had a lot of experience in B2B sales. And I feel like in st- with startups as well, I can. I also had experience running a startup business or being a partner in a startup business. So I understand the business owner's perspective, I think a little bit better than your average copywriter who's just creating a, a profile on Upwork. So that gives me an opportunity to ask questions and dig into things that that other copywriters might not. And that, you know, as we talk about all the time in the think tank and other places, allows you to position yourself as more of a consultant than than simply a copywriter, right? And I may by asking the right questions, even in a proposal, asking questions in a proposal is a great way to show that you have some knowledge to offer and and help you stand out. So I know you couldn't remember the original pitch, but when you're sending out pitches today or when you're responding to projects, what does that look like? You know, what are you sharing in that message? What does that communication look like so that people are hiring you? Sure. I think the first thing is what I just talked about. You want to add value, right? You need to figure out some way that you can show them that you can do something for them that nobody else can. Um, hopefully the thing that they're working, they're looking for. And so when you get a proposal or you're looking at a uh, at a job posting, the first thing I do is is try to get as much information as I can. Have they posted their website? Have they given you a link to um, to an existing landing page? Have they given you an example of an email they're trying to send? Is there anything, any information you can get from them? And in some cases, it might just be you see their name and you see the industry that they're in and you see that the city that they're in through Upwork and you can do a quick search and see if you can put A, B, and C together and figure out who they are and what they do. And if you can do that, then you're coming to them, you're coming into the proposal with a little bit of information that maybe some other people don't have or that they're not using as strategically. So my first step is always, what can I find out about this person? What can I find out about this job? And how can I offer value now? Um, and that might be doing a, a quick, you know, two-minute audit of a homepage or a landing page and just say, here are three things that I saw that I think we could work on right away. And obviously this isn't everything. Um, you know, that some people might say, oh, that's doing free work or you're doing you're giving things away for free. For me, that's really just about me proving my value. And if it takes three minutes of my time to do that. And that's what's going to be the difference between me getting an interview with that person or not, and probably getting hired. But I'm absolutely going to do it 100% of the time. So let's just back up a little bit. And um, if I'm new to Upwork, r- relatively new copywriter, what are some initial steps that you know I really need to focus on to do it right? And then, alternatively, like what are some uh, things I should avoid early on that could possibly sabotage my experience on Upwork? And I think uh, two things that I'll, I'll mention. The first is obviously your profile and getting your profile accepted. Um, so there are people that do struggle to get their profiles to get to get the profile set up and accepted. I've heard less of that recently, but I know in the past few years there has been have been issues with that. So create a profile, spend some time on it, think about who the customer is you're trying to serve, and make sure your profile is set up to speak to your customer and not just about yourself. You're not writing a resume, right? You're trying to show why you have why you have unique value and how you can add value for your customer. Basic copywriting stuff. If you've Studying copywriting, that should be second nature, but a lot of people who are copywriters, even in their profiles, don't do that. So think about how you can add value. That's one. Um, two is mindset. And this one, I think I got lucky in that I landed one of my first two or three proposals. I have gone through periods where, you know, early in my career where I had to send maybe five, seven, 10 proposals to, to land a job that I was satisfied with. But I know a lot of people who have had to send more. So stay stick with it. Send proposals. Search out, search out jobs that look good for you, that you, you're pretty sure you would like to do and that you feel like would be a good fit and send detailed proposals, offer value where you can and stick with it because not everybody's going to land one of the first three clients that they pitch, um, even with a proposal, even with you know the best strategies out there. 
there are not everybody's the best fit for every client. So you need to stick with it. You need to keep the right mindset, understand that it will pay off over time. The first, the hardest part is getting those first few jobs under your belt. So I think the third, third piece of advice I would offer is suck it up and do a little bit of work below your market value. Um, don't give work away for free, but you know, take a job that maybe won't be so long, so much of a time commitment, but that will allow you to get some history on the platform. Because once you have a review under your belt, um, or one or two or three, then people can see that you're that you're somebody that, that they might want to work with. When you have zero hit work history, it's it's very hard. Those first few jobs are going to be tough, and you might have to to work at a level uh, at a pay le- pay level than you lower than you would expect to if you're working off of the platform. So Rob, I've heard you talk about this, you know, a, a couple of different times, and it it just feels to me like not only are you you know you've got your profile set up, but you're doing something different. Uh, on Upwork than maybe the the vast majority. Uh, I, I don't think you spend a lot of time with cold prospects. Um, you you seem to be able to find people who are like ready to hire right now or they're hotter. Is there like what else beyond the profile and the pitch that you send out are you doing to find these people? I mean, I don't know because I don't know what everybody else is doing, but I do know that my experience yeah, has been significantly different than a lot of other people's. Um, I think to me, it boils down to a combination of things, right? Like some of it is the, my work experience um, off of the platform even. So when I came to the platform, I didn't have any copywriting experience, but I did have expensive, extensive experience in sales. I do know how to present myself on a sales call. Um, I am able to add value in certain scenarios. So I think that's one thing in terms of getting hired. In terms of finding jobs, I think... It really comes down to understanding how to uh, how to work a search, search function, um, a little bit of patience, and um, understanding who you want to who, you, who you're looking for. A little bit also of of uh, filtering out the noise because a lot of people get distracted. They get on the platform and they say, "Oh, here's a job that looks interesting," and this person says they want to pay fifty dollars for a web for you know a website copy, you know, for an entire website. Or this person says they want to pay one cent per word and they need a 10,000 word ebook, right? Like you just need to, you need to filter that noise out. You need to set, on, set your filters. First of all, don't search for any jobs at the beginner level. Even, I mean, even if it's your first copywriter job, if you've studied copywriting, you could probably work at the intermediate level on Upwork. The people who are working at the, at the beginner level, who are looking for beginner level people, truthfully, most of them just aren't going to be willing to pay you what it's worth. Um, and most of them are going to be unhappy even if you do a great job because their expectations are too high. And they don't really know what they're looking for. Um, so the higher, the better jobs you look for, like in terms of people who pay more and at higher, who are asking for a higher level of talent, actually are going to be a better experience for you because those people have a little bit more idea what they're looking for. They're not going to have unrealistic expectations, and they're willing to pay a decent price for good work. When you're trying to work with somebody who has, who's, who's really cheap, um, it becomes a challenge because not only are they not paying enough, but their expectations tend to be completely out of whack. Um, so I think those are a couple of things that I'm doing differently. Aside from that, um, I don't know. I mean, I, I do know what I do and I can't teach people that, but I, I don't know what a lot of other people are doing. I know that from the hiring side, when I get proposals, a lot of people just copy and paste proposals. And that's the last thing you should ever do is, is create a standard, standard proposal, copy and paste. You need to make sure you're personalizing it to them, not just adding their name, but telling them, showing them that you've read their job post and where you can offer specific value for the specific thing that they want. Not like, I would love to help you with. Like, that's that's the last thing you want to say, right? It's great that you, you would love to help me, but that's um, that's not what I'm, I'm not looking for somebody who's passionate about working with me. I'm looking for somebody who can add value to my project. Okay, so let's say, I mean, we've heard you talk through this at TCC IRL, but like, what is the benefit of this? Why 
we know Upwork has been trashed, um, you know, <laughs> in the copywriting space. I mean, Sometimes by us. Maybe Rob and I have trashed. I only trashed it because I got kicked off the platform way back <laughs> in the day. Um, I had to trash it, but what did you do to get off here? I, I think it was when it was still Elance, right? It was Elance, and then it turned into Upwork. And I think I was trying to modify my profile and add all these links outside of the platform. Yeah, and then I got kicked off. So anyway, I was like, do it. okay, um, why should we use it as a copywriters, content writers? Why is it a really smart decision for us to create this channel and focus on it and build it? Um, as a lead channel, as part of our business, why does it make sense? So I guess, can you sell us on it? I mean, I, I can, can, although I will, I will say that I'm not a paid spokesman for, for Upwork and <laughs> I have spent my share of time trashing them as well. So it's not that I love everything about Upwork. I've had bad experiences in Upwork, but I've had bad experiences with clients that I found other places as well. Right. And I've listened to people. I've, I've read so many, so many um, long posts on, on Facebook, in Facebook groups, about people have been ghosted by clients or who can't get paid and like all these things that, that Upwork actually kind of resolves for you in a lot of cases. So a few things about Upwork that I think are, are that make it a really great opportunity for, for copywriters and content writers really at any level. Um, the first thing is that there are what I call hot prospects, right? These are people who have already put their credit card in the system. They know exactly what they want. They want to buy something, right? This isn't going out to, to, um, to LinkedIn and contacting some people and trying to build relationships over the course of a few weeks or months and hope that maybe down the road, they're going to lead a you know, lead magnet or they're going to want to redo a funnel. Like these are people who are ready to buy. They're going to, they're going to hire a copywriter probably this week or next week or the week after. Uh, it's just a matter of who is it going to be. And if you want it to be you, it's easy enough to convince them. Now there's a little bit of work you can do on the front end, but definitely they're ready to buy leads. And that's something that's really hard to find when you're doing your own lead generation, um, starting from from cold leads at least. Obviously, if you have income, if you have inbound leads, it's a whole different deal. But when you're looking at that cold outreach, um, it takes time to warm those people up. And if you need paycheck, you need a paycheck next week or the week after to pay your rent, Upwork is a place that you can find somebody realistically, get a job, land a job within a week, do a job within a week, and get paid. Um, secondly, I think that there are uh, a lot of people out there. Uh, look, working on Upwork. So a lot of companies that work exclusively on Upwork and won't look at, won't look anywhere else. So that's um, that's another thing that is obviously a big benefit. Rob, you mentioned um, one of your secrets is the ability to use the search function. Obviously, you sort out the beginner jobs. Are you also like limiting by niche or by project type? Like you know, in order to find those jobs, you know, and I, I don't know this because I haven't been on, I don't think I've opened up my Upwork account in eight years. So uh, it's been a while and I've never actually taken a job there. So um, how are you using the search function so that you're, you're really only finding the jobs that you want to work, work on? Yeah, I think that uh, definitely search for whatever you want to do, right? If you want to do copywriting for, um, for course funnels or for launches, then search launch copywriting or launch copywriter or launch emails or launch landing pages or sales page, right? Whatever the thing, the specific asset you is you want to search on or you want to, to work on, search for that. Um, particularly when I started out, when I, for the first couple of years, I was doing a lot in, in the SaaS space. So I would go in every morning and I would search SaaS, SaaS copywriter to see if there's anything from SaaS copywriter, SaaS copywriting, and then just SaaS and scroll through pages of SaaS posts. And most of them were looking for designers or developers or things that had nothing to do with copywriting. Once in a while, I would find one that was a copywriter, but hadn't been written in a way that you would find it 
in a search if you're looking for SaaS copywriter, right? So yeah, whatever it is that you want to do, be very clear and um, intentional with that when you're when you're designing your searches. And do searches every day because new jobs come up every day. So if you really are looking for work actively, then do searches every day. At this point, you know, quite honestly, I don't remember the last time I went on to Upwork and did a search because I get invitations for enough jobs that once in a while, I'll find one that's interesting and I'll just pick it up. And I've got a lot of recurring clients as well. So I haven't needed to be doing consistent searches over the course of the last few months. But when I do, um, th those are the techniques I use and I'm still successful at finding clients uh, clients that way. So how can we leverage Upwork and build our businesses You know, beyond Upwork? What does that look like? Right. What's possible outside of, especially since you've, sounds like you've brought some of your clients outside of Upwork and turned them into retainer clients. Yeah. So you can't actually bring an Upwork client outside of Upwork. So I'll be clear that I haven't done that because Upwork's listening. <laughs> um, I haven't done that. But what I have done is I have made connections through Upwork with clients that I've then um, have then added to my network outside of Upwork, right? Like I've met connected with them on LinkedIn and I know them personally because I've worked with them again and again, and they've referred me to people in their external network. So I have built uh, a little bit of a professional network using Upwork, maybe not as much as I should have even, but I have built a professional network using Upwork that has helped me find clients off of the platform. So you can't um, legally, according to the terms of service, which I do suggest anybody respect, you can't take a client off of Upwork unless you tell Upwork you're doing it, and then they have to pay you have to pay Upwork a percentage um, of your work with them for the rest of your life, in theory. So, um, so not something you can easily do. But that's not to say you, you can't grow a business without it. In fact, this year and last year both, I will have invoiced more business off of the platform than I have on the platform. But I've done that without a website, um, without really any significant social media presence, without. Um, an email list, like any of the things I haven't paid for ads. I have basically no client out, no, no um, um, lead outreach. I have no inbound leads coming to me from any other source, but through referrals and connections that I've made with clients that I've met on Upwork, I have been able to build a business outside of the platform as well. Okay. So uh, I feel like, you know, we, and it's probably my fault. We jumped right into Upwork without talking about like this experience that you had before you came to Upwork as uh, you know, sales manager, vice president of sales. Uh, I have a feeling that a lot of that may have contributed to your success as well. Like you said, you didn't have any experience as a copywriter, but you did have sales experience. So I'm curious, you know, what your experience in the fashion industry, in the sales uh, vertical how that's helped you as a copywriter and helped you grow your business. Yes. I think that um, for me, copywriting is sales. Now I know that it kind of walks that line of sales and marketing, right? And it depends on who you talk to. You have marketing copywriters, you have sales copywriters, and you know maybe we're two different beasts, but I think we both kind of walk that same line. And for me, the process of having sold people face-to-face -face for at least 10 years in different markets is something that has been invaluable in understanding how to approach copywriting because we talk a lot about understanding your, your personas and, and doing your research to understand who people are and empathy, empathy, right? But there's no way to get that experience better than actually sitting down at a table with somebody face-to-face -face and having done that over and over again. So when I first started in sales, I was working in um, in a for a clothing company. I'd actually been on the purchasing side first, I'd worked for a major department store as a buyer. And then I went uh, and started and went to the other side of the table to sell um, sell men's clothing to department stores, essentially, but department stores and specialty stores. So I had different types of clients, right? Like 
one of my clients was Macy's and I had to sit down sometimes with a VP of Macy's or maybe the, maybe the, um, the VP of a, a major department store and a major regional department store, occasionally even somebody higher than that, occasionally even a CEO of like a, a mid, mid-sized department store. So you had to be able to present and talk to them in a certain way and understand what their pain points were, right? Like these are people who are worried about their gross margins. They're worried about their turnover. They're worried about their markdown rate and all of these things that, um, that are very finance-based, finance right? But you also are selling to independent chain retailers, and these independent chain retailers, in certain cases, are much more ori- are much more concerned about the fashion, about the timeliness, about the um, the advertising and marketing that you're doing in the local market to reach their customer base, right? So when you sit down, you have got two very different, very different um, personas, and then beyond that, you get to the discounters, and you start working with TJ Maxx and Ross stores, and and um, even local discounters who are even more aggressive. But the only thing they care about is getting the best price. So within my customer base there, I had at least three major personas, and each one of them had their own ticks and their own unique sort of um, sort of personalities and wants and needs. And so you need to learn to understand what those are. And it, it, it is something that you want. You can study, obviously. You ask questions and you learn about them. And I knew a lot of great salespeople that took notes and had extensive notebooks. I was more, um, let's say, um, instinctive about it, maybe less disciplined, we'll call it. Um, but you know, you learn how to communicate with each one of these people, to how to pitch them in a way that's going to work for them. And then when I left the clothing company and I went to help um, my friend with his, his longboard skateboard company in New York, we started working on wholesale distribution there as well. And then you re- meet a whole other range of, of, of types of retailers, right? From the people who are still kind of chain-oriented and, and, and business-oriented in terms of they need to get their numbers right, to the guy who, like, as soon as you get in the shop, kicks the kids out and locks the door because he wants to go in the back and smoke. So, like, it's, um, you know, a whole range of different people. And that, that broad range of experience helped me to develop one the skill of using different voices and presenting myself in a different way when necessary to a different audience, uh, as well as to listen and understand where your audience is coming from so that you can try to, to give back to them what they're giving to you. So what advice would you give to a copywriter who struggles with sales or just doesn't feel as confident, doesn't have all the experience you have? I mean, there's definitely practice. You mentioned like repetition, listening, Um, what else do you feel like could benefit us as copywriters to strengthen our sales calls? It's a great question. Um, it's interesting because I, I think I'm pretty good on sales calls. I, I close a lot of them and I've done a lot of sales over the years. So I know that that is, um, something that I have a skill for at the same time. I'm not a, uh, an outgoing, like I wouldn't call myself an extrovert. Right. So, um, you know, a lot of people think of salespeople as like bubbly and friends with everybody. Right. I was never that person who, um, built like really intimate relationships with my audience, with my, with my clients, but at the same time, they enjoyed being in my presence, enjoyed working with me. So I think that for me, a lot of it is about no matter how you're feeling inside, you need to just push through it and present yourself in a certain way. Maybe this goes back to some of the the theater experience I had in, in college, I don't know. But um, for me, being on selling has always been a little bit like being on stage. And so it's a it's very comfortable for me to not necessarily, you want to be authentic, but you also have, but it's also a sense of like a performance, right? So um, you need to enjoy it a little bit. The second thing which you mentioned is listening. Like that's really one of the most important parts. And it's one of the hardest parts, especially if you are trying to perform, if you're trying to like, if you have a script and you have this performance, like, and you feel like you're, 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 you're pulling off this performance, it can be hard to sit back and listen. But listening is absolutely essential. And along with listening, 
repeating back to your clients um, or your potential clients, the things that they tell to you. Um, it seems obvious and it might even seem too obvious, but it really isn't. People like to hear their own words uh, repeated back to them um, on, a, on a subconscious level. And it really helps you connect with them. It makes them feel like you understand them, even if you're literally just telling them the exact same thing that they told you. And so aside from not doing those, those two things, are there mistakes, big mistakes that we make when we're, when we're selling, uh, whether it's to, you know, our, our clients, um, you know, maybe it's, you know, other situations that are kind of sales, uh, oriented where we're trying to, you know, get somebody to change their mind or, you know, to, to act in some ways, what mistakes do we make? I mean, I think most sales mistakes from my perspective come down to mindset and it's really about feeling inferior or feeling like you don't have the right to ask for something or feeling that you're in the wrong to ask for something, whether that's asking for um, an extension or making st standing up for your work, or if it is you know demanding the right price, right? So um, I think that everybody needs to try to be realistic about where they are in their business and don't, you're not trying to rip people off. You should be trying to add value wherever you can. But if that, that value is legitimate, then you need to you need to display confidence and be confident about that. And again, even if you're not feeling confident inside, you need to display it on the outside. Uh, and that does take practice, right? Because not everybody can jump on their first sales call and feel like they're super confident and just smooth over those rough edges. And I still have sales calls where I get off and I'm like, oh well, that went uh, that went really bad, right? Um, as many times as I've done it, and as you know, as much as I've sold, it's still um, it's there's still times where it doesn't work but you need to get back on the horse and get back out there and do it again. Okay. So just jumping in here again, and uh, remember I'm alone here, so no one to bounce these ideas off with, but as I was listening back to Rob and the things that he was sharing in this interview really struck me just how much of us, not, I, I guess the word is a science. That's what I want to say. How much of a science it is to use Upwork well and to do well with it. So many nightmare stories and, and we, you know, we hear of copywriters who go there, they struggle, they can't find clients. They maybe they find a client, but they can't find another client or they're finding clients, but they're paying literally pennies per word or less. And so much of making Upwork work for you is about the same things that we do when we're creating websites for ourselves, when we're out building our authority. You you need to be adding value to your clients. You need to make do things that make you stand out. Here's Rob talked about, you know, adding value, finding out something about a client or the project or the job before he would even start talking to them. He talked about setting up the profile uh, in a way that speaks to the customer or to the client that you're trying to attract. There's a lot of mindset things that go on here, sticking with it. This is all stuff that applies to setting up our own websites and competing on other places like Google or having a LinkedIn profile. We still need to do these kinds of things in those other spaces. And so in so many ways, Upwork is just a microcosm of the larger world of competition. And what works there will work off it. What works off it could work there. So just do those things that help you stand out. I also really appreciated that Rob was talking about uh, sending out lots of proposals and suggested the idea that especially as you're just starting out, you're trying to build a track record. And sometimes that requires taking a few jobs that you might not want to take or that might pay a little bit less than you would normally. Now, we're not talking about the pennies per words kinds of projects, but 
in order to build that successful track record to get those five-star reviews from some clients that you start getting invited onto projects on Upwork, you want to uh, do those things that get you accepted. And sometimes, as Rob said, you just have to suck it up, go through that little bit difficult period and make it work. He also was talking about, you know, when it comes to proposals, the copy and paste uh, thing, don't do it, make each one unique. There are definitely ways that you can use a template and make it feel unique with different kinds of copy, but clients can tell when something is pulled from a template if you don't really spend some time to try to personalize it and getting to know the client, the project as Rob was suggesting is a really good way to do that. Uh, Rob also was talking a lot about the power of filtering and searching, you know, limiting the beginner jobs, even if you're a beginner, because the level of beginner on Upwork is really sub-beginner. Uh, you want to be looking at those intermediate and pro projects, even if you're just starting out. Of course, you've got to be able to deliver if you get hired, uh, but you can learn those skills. You can add those skills. You can develop them as you're working on these projects if you're dedicated to serving your client and solving the problem that they have. And then I think a lot of people who go into Upwork, they jump in every couple of weeks or maybe only when they need additional work. And if you're not making it a daily or maybe an every other day task for you, you're going to miss a lot of what's happening there because it's such a big marketplace. There are new projects that are going up every day and projects that are being hired for every day. If you make it a habit of you know jumping in for 10 or 15 minutes just to scan through what's available, maybe put in your search terms for your niche, your project levels, the kind of work that you want to do, you'll find that you can have that success that Rob's been talking about as he's been uh, teaching us about how he uses Upwork. I also want to just mention what Rob was talking about uh, as far as at the very end of this segment, he was talking about confidence and practicing confidence. And we've talked a little bit about this before, but it's difficult to practice confidence because confidence comes from the doing. And so many times we hold ourselves back from moving into something that feels uncomfortable or from doing that thing like sending out a proposal or connecting with a client on Upwork or wherever doing those things because we want to be confident first and we want to practice that. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to be a little bit contrary to what uh, Rob was saying, you know, we need to practice that, but confidence comes in the doing. The way to practice confidence is doing the thing that you're afraid to do. And when you do it and you do it successfully or you do it, maybe you fail, but you come out not injured, you know, there's, there's no real pain. There's no real uh, bad outcomes that come with that. And we get through it. We're like, oh, the worst thing that can happen is not a lot of bad stuff has happened to me. I just got a no from a client or I didn't hear back or those kinds of things. That's the thing that builds your confidence. And that's true again on Upwork. It's true if you're pitching clients out in the real world, it's true with anything that we do in our business. The way to practice confidence is by doing the stuff that you are afraid to do or that you're waiting to be confident to do. Okay, so that's enough about that first part of the episode. If you are interested in uh, working on Upwork, it probably wouldn't be bad to go back and listen to this whole half of the episode again, because what Rob is talking about, what he's teaching here, I think is so applicable and using some of the tactics he's teaching here, as well as what we're going to talk about in the next half of this interview will make your experience in Upwork far better than most copywriters who are there. 
let's go back to our interview with Rob and find out how to make retainers work for us so that we don't run into problems or pitfalls. I would love to hear more about retainers because I know you have some retainer working relationships and you know, they're tricky at times. So how do you navigate through your retainers to make sure it's working for you and not against you? Yeah, that's the question. Well, I think that this is one area where I have still a lot of work to do um, because I haven't done a very good job of that. In fact, I think as of right now, I'm officially, unofficially not taking on more retainer clients because I've had a bad, uh, I've had a really hard time of managing, um, of managing retainer clients and still making room to bring on you know, to bring on project work, because I think I have a tendency one to maybe not define my retainers clearly enough in terms of what deliverables are to me are going to be on a, on a monthly basis. So I would recommend anybody who wants to get into retainers to as much as possible, make it deliverable based or hour based. Um, I have gotten into some retainers that were a bit more flexible and that require that ends up with me um, not really ever knowing when I'm done and feeling guilty for not doing enough or then probably over delivering but still feeling like I've underdelivered. So that can be a, a complex thing. So I would say those are that's some advice I would offer to people. And for me, I think for the short term anyway, I'm planning to just not take on take on any new retainer clients. I prefer to work on a, a project basis, even if it's an ongoing client. Set the deliverables, set the price, set a date, and I'll deliver. But when I have to um, be trying to um, to manage a project throughout the course of a month without understanding what the specific deliverables are, um, it's been it's been problematic for me. I'll say that. So what does a typical project look like these days for you, Rob? What, uh, what's your favorite kind of copy to work on? And, uh, you know, what are you, what are you delivering for your clients? Sure. I mean, at the, at the moment I'm working on a, a B2B website with a little bit of, um, some funnel activity in terms of, you know, lead generation. I tend to work on websites and then funnel assets, right? So landing pages, uh, emails, maybe a little bit of ads to, to pull all of that together. So um, those are the, the biggest projects that I work on, whether it be lead gen funnels or sales funnels for B2B clients and uh, and web pages. I have done some email-based retainers as well, which I love email. Um, and I um, have have had good success with that as well, but I think right now it's been more on, on the website and, and sort of total funnel strategy and, um, and assets. How do you think strategically about your business? Cause you know, you're on Upwork, you can basically choose, you're, you're the king of Upwork and you can choose what you want, take the projects you want. So you could do everything. How, how do you decide what to take, what not to take? Um, how do you think really big about your business so that you're continuing to move in the direction you want to move and, and not taking those retainers and being really smart about what you're doing. Right. I mean, it's a challenge for all of us, right. To be as intentional as we would like to be about a business. And I do think that that's one area where um, Upwork has made it more challenging for me. And I think that I would recommend as I have every time I've spoken about it, that nobody follow in my footsteps in terms of using Upwork as essentially my only lead generation channel. I think that Upwork is really great as a way to find clients, especially if you're just getting started or if you just have, um, you're running into some, some points where you've got you know, weak spots in your schedule and you want to fill them up a little bit more. Um, I think it has a lot to offer. But if it is your only lead gen channel, then you are going to have, um, you know, some maybe fall into some bad habits, which are um, maybe not being as, as intentional as you should be about who you're working with and when and taking 
on clients that do the fit maybe a little bit outside of what your you know, ideal niche would be. For instance, it can be hard to find people in a niche consistently on Upwork. There's a lot of clients there, but don't, they don't always align with exactly what you want to be doing. So you do end up sometimes working outside of um, your preferred niche maybe. And also, you know, there is a tendency to, to stay inside the platform, think inside the platform and not allow yourself to, um, to develop as much outside as you could. So I definitely still have work to do on my business to be more intentional about what I'm doing outside of the platform. Inside of the platform, I really, I just choose jobs that appeal to me and where I know that I'm going to be able to, be able to make enough money to, um, to have the job, to feel good about the job at the end of the day. Um, I am being more intentional now about my business and in the process of, um, of getting my website out there and, um, and trying to be more intentional about the types of clients that I approach and types of jobs that I want to want to work on. So Rob, uh, I know over the past year or so, you've kind of gone through a couple of different uh, phases in your business where you thought about um, growing a team, uh, bringing in some people to help with some stuff, and, and then maybe backed up a little bit uh, after going through that experience. We talked a little bit about that and what you struggled with and you know um, what if somebody's thinking, okay, I'm going to grow a team, maybe some of the things that they ought to be looking out for as they consider that as uh, you know part of their business. Yeah, I um, I think that there are many um, <laughs> many things to look out for when you're looking to build a team, uh, and the first is to make sure that it's what you really want to do, right? I think that I had an opportunity to build a team based off of a specific client and a specific retainer deal that um, that I wanted to to take on, and now that I I did that for a year. And I struggled to find the right people. I also struggled to discipline myself enough to give people work to do. And I know this is something I've gone through in other points in my career too, not as a copywriter, right? Um, I'm a type of person who tends to want to do it all myself. And I need to learn to reduce that um, that urge. But at the same time, it's something I also need to be aware of, right? And so when I am looking at building a team, I need to be very conscious about what is what specifically are these people going to do? And what deadlines do I need to hit on my end to be able to allow those people to do it? Um, I got myself into a lot of situations where I ended up doing work myself, because not because the person I hired was bad even, but because I didn't give them what they needed in time to give me what I needed, which means that in order to get the client what they need, I have to do it myself. Um, so I think that was the biggest struggle that I had um, with, with building a team was just understanding how to manage my own time with a, uh, with a team in play. Uh, it requires a lot more organization. I think if I had to do it again, I would probably have spent, uh, invested more money on the front end um, with not just an, a VA, but maybe an OBM, somebody to um, to help me structure things because uh, I obviously didn't do the job that I needed to structuring it myself to make it be successful. Now, at the end of the day, the client was happy. We're parting on good terms, but I've, uh, I'm kind of winding down that arrangement that I had started to build because I discovered it wasn't what made me happy. I wasn't satisfied with how it was working. And I would rather um, kind of put my individual attention on copy projects, which is where I have more fun. And I think where my my skills lie. I, I appreciate you sharing that just because I think there are a lot of people who go through this kind of a thing. And we don't talk a, a lot about that. Sometimes the team isn't the right move forward. Sometimes, you know, we're better off doing our own thing or, or maybe the situation isn't correct. So I just want to say thanks for for talking a little bit about this because maybe I think it happens to a lot of us. I'm sure it does. And absolutely. Like we all make mistakes, right? And we all try things in our business and and sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. I I can't say that I won't ever try to build a team again, right? It, I probably will at some point if things continue to go the way that they are. 
because I don't think I'm going to get to where I want to be without having some sort of help. But I, I need to be, that situation didn't work for me. And I need to be more intentional about it the next time around to ensure that I um, you know, have a better result. Okay. I respect, I feel like you have more a contrarian vibe sometimes. Um, I don't know, maybe you disagree, but I guess I'm wondering, <laughs> are there certain pra- you know, best practices that we talk about in the copywriter community, or maybe even just in the small business, entrepreneurial online marketing community that you feel like they just bug you every time you hear it? they annoy you, they drive you nuts, like anything that maybe even copywriters feel like they have to do like, okay, I have to hire a VA. I have to grow a team. I have to, um, work in retainers, anything. Come I, to mind. I think I've, um, I've mellowed out a little bit over the last year. I don't know. I'm tr- actually, I'm, I'm intentionally trying to be less cynical about certain things. Um, <laughs> be, be, because Honestly, um, the industry we work in, yeah, there are certain things that rub me the wrong way sometimes. I mean, I think that um, for a lot of years, especially working in the B2B space, there are a lot of things about the you know classic direct response copywriting world that just kind of rubbed me the wrong way and made me feel icky. Um, and they still do at some times. But I also realized that in my own work on the B2B side, I owe a lot to people on that side of the business, right? Because I can learn things from them strategies and techniques that carry over and that are effective. Uh, and you know, maybe I might not be a hundred percent on board with what they're selling with, you know, using those techniques sometimes, but you know, that's their personal choice as opposed to, to mine. I choose to use mine in the way that I my skills in the way that I do. Um, and so I think that maybe a, a couple of years ago or even less than that, I might have had some different a different perspective on that. Um, but I am trying to to show more, be more respectful of you know everybody else's choices, everybody else's power to to make their own decisions um, on that front. Um, I, I also I am a little bit annoyed by by um, by frameworks, but that's um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I think that's what Kira wanted <laughs> you to say. I knew it every time Rob and I mention frameworks, Rob Perry's like, nope, not doing. I'm trying it. to be less cynical on that front too, but like I don't feel like every every um, business owner has to like create these perfect little packages that are um, represented by some sort of an acronym, right? Like for me, like, I, I feel like that trend can go too far to the point where I go on some copywriters websites and I'm like, this is just cheesy and silly. Like, I'm not going to buy your product because of your lampshade formula. Like, let's just tell me what, how you're going to help oh, me. What are you going to do for me? Get me yeah. Sales. I want to see what the lampshade formula is. That sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> well, as a follow-up, I'm curious why you decided a year ago or recently to not be as cynical? Like what, what was the catalyst for that? I mean, that's an ongoing process of trying to, um, you know, of self-discovery and um, and trying to figure out ways to to be happier, or if not to be happier, to be more um, at peace with certain, you know, aspects of, of my life. And I think that in general, like I've, I've been a pretty cynical person throughout my entire life. I think it's my, my entire adult life. And I don't know that it's served me particularly well. Um, it's I've told myself stories about how it was serving me, right? But it adds to, it, it creates a lot of um, a sense of separation from other people. And also it really kind of ramps up my anxiety when I really need to be lowering my anxiety, right? Um, had a little bit of a blood pressure scare a few months ago. Maybe that has something to do with uh, my, my sudden attention to, uh, to trying to be a little more tranquil. But um, just in general, I think that cynicism is something that, especially as a, a less outgoing writer type, like it's easy to fall into those types of habits, right? Um, of judgment and thinking that we know better 
Uh, and I'm, I'm really trying to, to get past that. I won't say that I'm entirely successful at it. I'm definitely not. And it varies from day to day, but across the board, um, it's just something I'm working on, on, uh, on my side, on my side. I love that. So when we first met you, Rob, we were in a villa in Barcelona. You were you flew over from Italy where you were living. Since then, you've lived in Chile. You're back in Europe again working. You've done, you know, I guess what everybody calls digital nomad thing or, you know, obviously working away from your home country while supporting your family, while, you know, raising kids, making it all work. Tell us about that experience and why you do it. Why, why don't you hunker down in Cleveland, Ohio, uh, like, like most Americans or Bob not, not necessarily Cleveland, but Bob's from Pennsylvania yeah. or, or Pennsylvania. Well, I wasn't, I wasn't necessarily saying <laughs> in your home place. I was trying to pick a place that maybe you wouldn't want to hunker down, but I'm, I'm being unfair to Cleveland. I think you're about uh, to upset a lot of people. Yeah, I'm sure. No, it's fine. It's fine. I'm a Pittsburgh fan, so you can talk trash on Cleveland. Okay, anymore. there you go. Um, <laughs> but I mean, it, it's not something that was necessarily planned. Um, you know, I I told a little bit about my my work experience before, and when I um, when I finished with the clothing company, I was about 31 years old. I paid off my college loans, and for the first time in my life, I had some money, and I had never spent any real time outside of the United States. I got my passport at 30. So I had never been anywhere else. And I was like, I went to Spain for a week with a friend to visit his sister who was studying abroad. And then that next year, I, for the first time in my life, I had some money, I had no debt. And I said, you know what? I'm done. I quit my job. I was burnt out. I quit my job. I broke up with my girlfriend and I moved to Spain for, for a few months just to see what it was like. And while I was there, I took some Spanish classes. In, that, in my Spanish class, I met the woman who would become my wife. So that kind of shifted my entire life, right? I met, I met this woman from Italy. I was living in New York. And so from there, we traveled back and forth, you know, once in a while over the course of the, um, the next uh, few years before we got married. Then she came to the US. Eventually, I went to Italy, um, the story I told earlier. So that was, that was really it. I mean, it was like, it wasn't like we are sick of being here. It was like we went there for practical reasons. And when I was there, I needed something to do. So I started this business. And that's how this all came to be. We lived there for four years, um, and at the end, we decided that we had an opportunity to go to South America. My wife had an opportunity to teach in a, in a school in Chile, so we left, and we said, all right, we left some stuff in Italy, but for the most part, we were just leaving, and we went to see um, what, what was our next adventure, and we stayed there through the pandemic, ended up being a blessing that we were there just randomly. We got there a month before the pandemic started, and we got to spend the pandemic on a hill in the country, kind of co-quarantining with some other families. Um, and it was really the ideal experience for that period of time in this world. So super thankful for that. Uh, but after that, we decided we wanted to get back closer to family. So I tell everybody now that I moved to Spain to get closer to my family, but um, Chile was was really far away. And so you know, from, from a how did this happen standpoint, it was all very organic. Um, my wife doesn't really want to move back to Italy yet. We met in Spain. And we already speak Spanish, so we thought it was a good place to to come and try to raise our kids. Um, and it's been challenging, without a doubt. Um, there are easier paths, both are, are easier careers if you just want a stable income, right? Like we're very dependent, all of us as freelancers or business owners, very dependent on what happens in our business. And sometimes it's great and sometimes it's less great. Um, there are definitely systems to navigate if you want to live in different countries in terms of, you know, immigration system, the taxes, and like all of that stuff gets complicated and complex. Um, but at the end of the day, it's been, um, it's been an incredible experience. And 
I've my children at seven and four have seen so much more of the world than I had uh, up until you know at least I was I was thirty years old and and I wouldn't trade it for, for anything. I miss my family. I I do wish we got to visit more. But aside from that, it's been um, it's been an amazing experience. Hard at times, without a doubt, but but all worth it. Um, I'm going back to mindset and reflection. I because it sounds like a theme that I'm hearing from our, this conversation is you're taking more time to reflect and to to even allow yourself to change your point of view on certain things. Um, you also mentioned anxiety, which I think is many of us can relate to. So how do you take care of yourself today, knowing that like you did just recently move, you do have young kids, like Rob said, like you've been dealing with a lot in the business and outside of the business. Um, how do you take time for your personal growth and reflection, you know, amid the craziness and chaos that you're in as a that we, we can all relate to. I mean, it's certainly not easy. In fact, I don't do a very good job of it, but I am I'm trying to be more intentional about it. Um, you know, it it means just making time to do it, right? And it's easy, it's easy enough to say that. Everybody says, just make time. People have been telling me that for decades, just make time, and I haven't done it. And I still don't do it as consistently as I would like, but I do try to find the opportunities when I can to um, to do some things that might um, that might help me um, deal with some of that you know, anxiety and the other stresses that my, my life brings. Also trying to spend more time, be more present and conscious with my kids and with my wife, you know, that's, um, it's a challenge for, for me and for, I mean, for a lot of different people. Right. But when, um, I spend all my day in my office, like focused on these things, and then I still have things coming out after, after hours. And I, um, I want to be working when I'm supposed to be spending time with my family, right? So like, these are all things that I, I'm just trying to be more conscious about, trying to be more aware of. I think meditation has helped a little bit, but I don't meditate every day. Um, I'm not a, a disciplined um, um, person when it comes to that type of, um, of self-care, but I am trying to infuse it into my life a little bit more where it fits and figure out how that can um, that can be a part of my future. Like I said, I did have like not a big scare, but like my blood pressure was a little bit high a couple of months ago. And it was something I'd never experienced before. And it made me start thinking about what am I doing? Um, I need to be exercising more. I need to be eating differently. I need to be thinking about um, how to manage this anxiety, which in some ways has become a part of my, my identity, like the way that I, I see myself as an anxious person. Right. And I always took that as like, um, it was motivating me. Right. But um, we know, you know, through science that we can't, we can't be motivated all the time by anxiety. If we are, we're actually sick. So um, I'm trying to to figure out ways to deal with that um, with help of some external people sometimes and just through self-exploration as well. Rob, I'm curious, if, uh, this is a question I ask a lot on the podcast, but if you could go back to, you know, when you were just starting out as a copywriter, maybe logging into Upwork for the first time, what advice would you give yourself of things you might do a little differently to get where you are a little faster? Yeah, absolutely. I could have I could have gotten to where I am a lot faster, I think. I mean, maybe not to where I am in terms of experience and skill, but the first thing is trust yourself. Um, you know, if you're doing the research and you're you're trying to do this right, chances are you're better than you think already. So, you know, I I was really hard on myself at the beginning. I would spend days and days and days going over the same copy again and again and again. And really at some point it just doesn't get much better, right? And sometimes it gets worse. So trust yourself um, and you know, ship the work. The, the second thing is to not be afraid to raise your rates, right? Like you, your clients will tell you if you're charging too much 
if your clients are happy, and then you should be happy. And I've had a hard time accepting that over the course of the years, even still sometimes. Even still, my clients will be very happy and I'll be like, yeah, but it wasn't good enough. Um, so you need to you need to learn to accept that like you're worth what your clients are willing to pay you. And if your clients are happy, that's what you're worth. So raise your rates. When, you're, when your schedule is full, raise your rates. When it's too easy and too many people are saying yes, raise your rates. Um, and until you feel like you can't add value, um, but you probably you probably can still be adding value at a higher rate than what you than what you think. Um, and the other thing I would say is build your network. And this is one that I still struggle with today. Um, even being in the think tank and having a great network around me, I don't I don't rely on them nearly as much as I should. But I think that the people who have the most success um, quickly are the ones who are able to to build their network, meet other people. Uh, get the help that they need, and also you know referrals and other other things that come from that. So build your relationships and try to be as social as you can within the you know within the limitations that you have individually. Those are those are three things I think I would I would point out. And you're working on a new product and workshop. Can you share a little bit about what's coming up next? Yeah, um, so it's still in development, but. Yeah, it's um surprise, surprise, <laughs> focused around Upwork. So I have done something different on Upwork, as you guys have mentioned before, and I'm trying to distill that into a to a program that I can help other copywriters uh, replicate my success. So I really do believe that even though um, that, I really do believe that there are so many clients out there on Upwork that are looking for good copywriters that there is no way that we can have too many copywriters on Upwork. So I really would like to help people figure out how to make it work for them, how to find the best clients, how to position themselves in a way that helps them um, helps them find clients and use that as a part of their overall lead generation strategy. I think it's great for beginners who don't really have any experience. One of the great things is that you can get on and get paid to get that experience. Like you don't have to be out there searching forever. Um, you can You can get on there, find clients, without really any history, maybe just a couple of samples that you write on your own, um, you know, not for a client, and you can get work. And that's a good way to learn. There's no better way to learn than to work with clients. The other thing is that it doesn't require you setting up a website or doing a lot of these other things. Like I've seen, I've seen beginner copywriters go through, um, you know, certain programs and they've got this entire business built and they've never had a client. And they'll have a website and they've done branded photo shoots and they've got like merchandise, right? They've got their, their logo on a hat. And they've never worked with a client. And then all of a sudden, you talk to them a few months later, and then like you're like, how's it going? Oh, well, I'm not doing copywriting anymore. I couldn't find clients. Like the first step is to get a client, get out there and work with somebody, figure out, figure out what this is all about. Maybe you don't even like it. So the first place for me for a beginner is is an easy way to get started without low barrier to entry is, is Upwork. But it's also great for people who are further along in their journey and who have space on their schedule and need another way to infuse leads. I know several people um, in, in the think tank right now who just over the course of the last six months have either um, opened a pro started a profile or gone back into Upwork um, after years of being dormant because they have seen that it is legitimate and they are able to find they are able to find clients that will pay their rates, that treat them well, that treat them with respect. Like a lot of the things that people have, have heard about Upwork um, aren't really true in terms of the negative things people have heard about Upwork. And if you learn how to, to work the platform the right way, position yourself the right way, talk to your clients like a professional, I believe that anyone can have success on the platform. So I'm working on a program called Hot Prospecting on Upwork. Um, the idea being that you're looking at hot prospects, not cold leads. These are people who are ready to buy and let's get them into your funnel so you can start doing, uh, start doing more business. And you have yeah. a free workshop coming up on November 8th, right? I do have a free workshop coming up on November 8th. 
We'll link to it. It's a, I'm just going to share it for you. 1 p.m. Eastern, November 8th. It's a free workshop all about how to use Upwork. And we're going to link to it in the show notes. Yeah, I would love for anybody to, uh, to show up and hear a little bit more about how I was able to make this successful and what some tips on what you can do to make this successful. Even if you're not interested in a full course um, you know, or a program, show up that day and I'll give you some tips on how you can get started quickly and really stand out from you know, the thousands of people that are out there already you know, working on the platform. And will you be sharing your framework for working on Upwork, uh, Rob? <laughs> I will. <laughs> my, uh, I want to see a visual, a framework. I need to my, see that. My beach, my, my beach ball framework. Um, yeah. Yes. I'm sure we'll have uh, more to share about that, but um, we'll, we'll <laughs> link to it in the show notes and we'll share um, that workshop with our email list uh, here in the future. So if you're not, on, if you're listening and you're interested in this, you're not on our email list, go to the copywriterclub.com and sign up. And then we can make sure that you find out about uh, Rob's workshop. That's the end of our interview with Rob Perry. And before we wrap, I just want to just reiterate a couple of other things that we were talking about in the second half of the interview, as we like to do. Uh, Rob was talking about some of the mistakes that we make as we work on retainers. We've talked a bit about retainers on other episodes of the podcast as well. Uh, I know that um, Rob was talking about the mistake of making of not making them deliverable based, but rather um, you know, focusing on hours, those kinds of things that can leave you feeling like, you know, you're not doing enough or maybe you're not putting enough hours. Retainers based on deliverables is an awesome way to do a retainer. And, you know, you, you basically sit down with a client at the beginning of the month, you agree on the projects that are going to be done that month. Of course, in the back of your mind, you're thinking, okay, if I'm doing this for 10 or 20 hours, you know, can I fit these projects into that allotted time so that you have time for your other clients or for whatever else you want to do with your day? The other way to do retainers, of course, is just hours, you know, setting aside 20 hours and they pile on the work as it goes. Um, I prefer the deliverable route simply because everything is clearly defined. You know what you have to do. If you run out of hours, you're not going to be uh, shorting your client on the projects that they need. Everything's agreed to up front. And at the end of the month, you deliver what you deliver and you hop back on a call and say, okay, what are we going to do this month? And pick that up. And I think this can be a really effective way for making retainers work if you've struggled with the hourly thing. Sometimes if you've got an hourly retainer and the client only has five hours of work, maybe you've committed 10 to them or 20 and you feel guilty about not doing enough, or maybe the client starts to think, why am I paying for 20 hours when I don't have enough work to, to fill the gap? Uh, you know, that can happen. And then there's this other thing that you can do when you're on a retainer is rather than just being a, um, a copywriter, you know, filling the orders for copy and the client saying, Hey, I need a, you know, website page or I need an email sequence or whatever. You can start acting as that consultant, as a professional who shows up and says, I noticed this about your business. We could use, you know, uh, uh, some kind of an email sequence or a sales page, or we could do something differently with, with this part of the marketing campaign. And you can start to create that work for yourself and set aside, you know, time for it or, or add them to your deliverable list. But that's some of the power of retainers and why uh, they can work so well in your business. Like that Rob's moving most of his to deliverable based, deliverable based and not all time-based, uh, but maybe time-based works better for you. So just think about how you use retainers in your business.
We also talked a little bit about building a team. This is something that obviously we talk a lot about here on the podcast. Kira and I build a team in our business. We've worked with other teams in other businesses where we've worked before. And Rob's experience, I think, just really highlights the fact that teams aren't always the right uh, thing to move to next in your business. Of course, maybe you do need a team to help you. Maybe you do need a VA to do some pick up some of that work. But oftentimes, it's not about a team or we're not prepared with the processes and the systems in place to make a team effective or uh, we're not comfortable delegating work uh, to the members of our team. And in those cases, if we're not ready there, and that's a mindset issue for us as the business owner, if we're not ready for that, then building the team should be the farthest thing uh, from what you do. And I, I appreciated that Rob shared all of those lessons. One or two other things that I just want to touch on before we left. I, I love the conversation about Rob trying to be less cynical. I can totally relate to that myself. I've been incredibly cynical at different points in my life. Maybe some people would say I'm cynical today. I, I think that I've become a lot more optimistic as I've gotten older. But for me, and like Rob said, it just didn't serve me uh, you know, to, to be cynical. Um, and showing up a little bit more optimistic in, in the world has helped me also uh, like he did. And so I was, I was appreciative that he brought that up. And finally, we pointed out Rob doesn't really like frameworks, um, you know, the acronym thing. And obviously Kira and I do like frameworks. We talk about them a lot in our programs. We've helped people develop programs. But I think when we talk about them, a lot of people get some some um, bad ideas about what frameworks are. You know, they're always thinking, well, I need it. To, it needs to be an acronym. It needs to fit into you know a word that relates to the work that I'm doing or to the clients that I'm serving. And so, you know, and we do see a lot of acronym type frameworks that especially that describe processes. But those are not the only frameworks. You can have idea frameworks. Uh, you can have frameworks that work through uh, processes that aren't acronyms, but um, you know, go from step one to step two to step three. Those are fine too. And they're frameworks. And the power of the framework isn't in having something that's necessarily your own uh, or that you've got a cool name for it. But the power of the framework is that when you start talking about your framework with clients, they can see that you've got a defined process for the work that you do. And that helps you show up as a professional. You're not just showing up and reinventing the wheel every single time or trying to figure it out from scratch every single time. Those kinds of approaches turn clients off. They don't know what to expect at the end of it. But if you've got a set framework, whether it's for a process that you're going to go through, whether it's for ideas that you're going to share, whether it's something else, clients can see that you've thought this through and you've done it before and there's a beginning and an ending and they know what to expect at the end. And so it's all just part of building trust and having that, especially if you want to build a business without a website, without social media, without uh, an email list, when you're communicating how you work to your clients on prospecting calls uh, or at other times, having a framework that you can walk through can be really helpful. And that's about it uh, for this episode. We want to thank Rob Perry for joining us on the podcast today. If you want to connect with him, you can find him on LinkedIn, where he's going to share details about his workshop here uh, this week. We're also going to link to his profile in the show notes so that you can find him pretty easily. There's more than one Rob Perry in the world. And as we mentioned, he is running a workshop on how to use Upwork. It's completely free it's, uh, later this week. So you'll want to sign up for that if you can. 
If you want to listen to more episodes like this one, check out episode 19. We recorded that one quite a while ago with Danny Margellis. He talked about his experience on Upwork and how to succeed and he shared even more ideas, especially about the content that you could be providing when you're doing outreach to clients. Episode 265, we talked about Daniel Thrussell, and he also talked about some of his experiences in uh, Upwork and how to succeed there. He also talked about his emailing strategies and a lot of the other things that he does in his business. And finally, check out episode number 248 with Deanna Mayfield. We didn't intend that one to be all about Upwork, but we talked quite a bit about how to succeed there, along with a lot of other stuff. Those are three really great episodes, 19, 265, 248. Check them out. And if you're ready to take your business from where it is today, maybe you're earning three or $4,000 a month to something a little bit more like five figures a month, go to copywriterthinktank.com. You're going to find a link to that page in the show notes. You've probably heard us say that over and over as you've listened to the podcast in the last couple of months, maybe even over a couple of years, and you haven't taken the opportunity to check that out yet. Do it now, uh, even if it's just to find out information or to connect with Kira or myself. If it's the right thing for your business in the coming year, January is the perfect time to start. Again, we're getting together for our next Think Tank retreat at the end of that month. You could join us for that. So just click on the link, find out more. And if it's right for you, move forward. And if it's not, that's cool too. That's the end of this episode of the Copywriter Club podcast. The intro music was composed by copywriter and songwriter Addison Rice. The outro is composed by copywriter and songwriter David Muntner. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please visit Apple Podcasts to leave a review of the show or maybe forward this episode to somebody you know who could use it and would listen to it as well. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Copywriters coming together to help the world write better. Copy and make more money.